I've entitled this sermon, Blessed with Rest. Let's pray. Father, help us to hear and to obey your word. Your truth is to bless us. And so I pray you'd help us to take it to heart and to believe you. You're the maker of the universe, the creator of our lives, and uh, you know how we should function and the best way for us to function because you put us together. You created us. So I pray that we believe what your love letter, this manual says, the Bible, these commandments in Jesus' name, amen. So here it is, the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Exodus 20, verse 8. The Sabbath was a day of rest to honor God. Now, first of all, maybe you think, I don't need rest like other people do. And that may be true. Some need less than others. I'm a jacuzzi kind of guy, so I could fall into rest real easy. But I still find myself working really hard. And, and I need this to remind me. You need it as well. But remember, it's not just about rest. The, the primary thing God's asked us to do is honor Him by doing this. You're honoring God when you take a Sabbath, not just taking your rest. And you're acknowledging that he's in control, that he's got you, that he's your provider, the source of, of all that would be good that comes your way. Now, I want you to be honest with, I, want you, I, don't, I rarely have you expose your weaknesses by raising your hand, but I'm going to ask you to do that right now. Be honest, all right? If you thought about your job this morning, your place of employment, since you've been in this building this morning, I want you to raise your hand. You thought about something at work, okay? Look around, look around. Now that just, that's telling on us that, that, that we, we have these things preoccupying our minds quite a bit. Raise your hand if you've ever stayed after hours or gone in early to get a jump start at work. Raise your hand, all right? The rest of you aren't listening because you have if you didn't raise, <laughs> raise your hands on that, okay? Raise your hand if your wife or your children have ever accused you of being distracted and consumed by your work while you're at home. Raise your hand. Come on, mine's up on that one. Okay, yeah, you got a glaze there and they can tell, you're, you know, lights on but nobody's home. And, and, and so that, th- these are just indicators that we need, we, we have trouble focusing, letting go and resting. Focusing on something else, I should say, rather than work. So let's look at four things this morning that I want to bring out about this. And the first is this. God rested. Interesting, huh? On the seventh day, it says in Genesis 2, God had finished the work he had been doing. And on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now that kind of creates an interesting theological question as I look at that. Do you think God needs rest? Or do you think perhaps he's just doing this to be an example for us? I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe both. I, I'm not sure I can answer that. But it re- really doesn't need to be answered. It needs to be followed, what's said, said here, right? We, we don't have to understand why he did it. We just need to know that he said we need to do it and he's our creator. So that that you just heard is the shortest point in a sermon I've ever had. Give me a hand for that, would you? Okay, yeah. God rested, all right? Second, you're not gonna be able to clap from here on out. Second, he, he wants us to rest. Exodus 20, verse nine. This follows right after, you know, take the Sabbath and rest, the commandment. The next verse is, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
on it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. He's trying to say everybody here. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is within them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the day and called it holy. Blessed the Sabbath day. So, he's making it clear. Uh, and, and you know, some would say, well, it's Saturday, Sunday. The point is the principles, you need to have a, you need to have a day where you're resting and honoring God, you're focusing more on Him on that day. This is probably most of your Sabbath day right here. You're here to honor God, but, but God says, okay, I have more in the day that I'd like to have, and it includes rest. Okay, so He says that not only to you, but to your spouse, to your kids, your dog, your cat, your hamster. He covered all the animals even in this. In those days, they used their animals for work, so it was more applicable. But the point is, you're supposed to rest and your whole household. We struggle with this. Why? Because we're American and we work hard, right? We make money. We're productive. We drive hard as Americans. And you know, I have a tendency when I get on the road to just want to get there fast and work it out. And I don't know what it, it is in me about that, but I don't like to waste a lot of time. But it's created a little bit of tension between my wife and I through the years uh, as, as um, we go on a trip. I remember the early days when we didn't have the kids. We were district youth directors for the, the Oregon Network of the Assemblies of God. So we'd drive up to a camp on Mount Saniam. We'd take that drive over the pass there about 20 times a year to those camps, winter and summer, and other events. And uh, we had conversations that went something like this. We'd be about halfway up the mountain, and Karen would say, I have to use the restroom. And I would say, but I, I just passed three Winnebago's back there. She'd say, yes, but I have to use the restroom. And I'm thinking, isn't there a receptacle in the car somewhere? But she, you know, I couldn't say that out loud. And then we'd have, so we'd, we'd pull over. That's what would happen. And the Winnebago's would go by and, and we'd, we'd deal with it. And, 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 then, and then Karen would, would often say something like this to me. Because she eats like a bird, you know, six times a day. And I, I eat three times a day like a hog. But it, anyway, Karen would say, I'm hungry. And, I, I, you know, we're driving, and I would say, but, but if we stop, I won't make my deadline. And she would say, what deadline? And I'd say, the one in my head. That... <laughs> she would say, slow down, you're going to get a ticket. And I'd say, if I slow down, we won't get there as fast as I want to. But Karen would say, we'll get there safe. I, I admit it, she's way more spiritual than I am, and she's, she's an amazing lady, Needless to say, uh, we weren't enjoying those trips as much as we should have been probably because I was rushing and hurrying and creating things that weren't necessary to create about how fast we need to get there. I was driving, I was driving. And we, as Americans, we drive. We drive in business. We're going to get there. We're going to make this work. We're not going to be the reason that this fails. We got to work or someone else is going to beat us, right? I mean, that's American. That's our mentality. And yet, God says this in Hebrews 4.9, there remains then a Sabbath. Rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his work, just as God did from his. Now, we have a couple deterrents. There's things that we've done to create pressure that we never needed. I want to talk about that a little bit, because there might need to be some rearranging before you can rest. And it's really important because here's one of the problems, materialism. We have a problem with this in America. We need a brand new car. We need 
a bigger house because after all, we only have 2,200 square feet. We're having our third child. We need, we need a bigger house, right? We need quads or wave runners. We just need these things, right? Because, you know, we, we need to have fun somewhere in life. We need those blazer tickets. We're going to lose them if we don't keep making money, right? We need clothes. We need golf equipment. We need that big screen TV. We need the newest technology. I only, it was a year ago that I bought that computer. It's, it's not up to date. I need another one. We need a new phone. It's been two years. This one, the other one's faster. It has more. Come on. We have to have these things. Well, we, 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 what we do is we start to overspend. And then we've created pressure on ourselves where what we're normally doing is not bringing in enough money to meet the demand of what we've, what we've pulled into our finances. So we have to work late and we have to work extra days and we have to take on more projects because we have to pay. And the truth is, we shouldn't create that kind of pressure on ourselves because we can't, we can't rest. We're just trying to meet the demand that we created and we can pull it back. We can pull it back. I'm driving a 10-year-old car now. And, 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 you know, I used to worry about my car when it was newer, if it got scratched or dented, but now a rock hits the windshield and I say, take that, you know. It doesn't matter to me because it doesn't look that good. But I don't have the pressure of that payment there, and I like it better. And, 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 and so we just need to you know, be careful about what the kind of pressure that we create because we, we put ourselves in a place where it's hard to have a, a Sabbath. Ecclesiastes 15.10 says, those who love money will never have enough. I would say this, it's, it's not wrong to have money, but it's wrong to love money. It's wrong, not wrong to have money, but it's wrong for money to have you. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. That's humor, that's in the Bible. Uh, they, they come, people will show up to help you spend the money you have. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Now here's another reason that we have trouble with Sabbath and it's, maybe it's not based on I want more stuff but it's based on I, I want accomplishments and achievements. And that may come from a realm of insecurity that the Sabbath might heal. That we need to prove something, that we're worth something to the world. Uh, <clears throat> but let me just say this. Your significance will not be fully determined by the kind of work you do. It will in large part be determined by the legacy you leave your family and friends. Well, if there's going to be a good legacy, there's going to have to be relationship. And sometimes we're so into making sure that, you know, we achieve our goals, that, that, that we accomplish these things that we set out to do, that we forget the more important things in life. And no one on their deathbed ever said, I wish I would have worked more. Think of that. Ecclesiastes 2.10 <clears throat> again says, I even found great pleasure in hard work. And there are people who do that. I don't know that's wrong to enjoy your work. I, I kind of like it if you do. A reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. Bible talks about storing up wealth in your barns. <clears throat> And, and then comes the end of your life and <clears throat> you can't take it with you. I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? It just stays. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. <clears throat> He's speaking about chasing after these things. So we need to be careful not to create an atmosphere where we can't even have a day of rest because God wants us 
to rest. So some rearranging might be appropriate in some of our lives. And here's the point. God doesn't only want you to do it to honor him, but he wants you to be refreshed. God wants us to be refreshed, and that's what the Sabbath is about as well. The rest will invigorate you. It will fill your tank for the long journey. Exodus 31, 16 says this, the people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day. These are all different passages about the commandments of the Lord. They must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. Now you see the implication. So there we see that God's word says that he was refreshed on the seventh day. But he wants us to keep it, and the implication is he wants us to be refreshed. I find that, that word in the Hebrew, the definition, interesting. It's a word picture. Refreshed uh, means to be breathed upon. It means as if a current of air would refresh you. So I don't know if you've ever been working hard, uh, either at work or at home in the garden, and you stand up with a shovel and you're sweating on a hot day, but a cool breeze hits you. You ever, you ever have that feeling of thinking, oh man, that feels good. Well, that's the, that's the word picture here. Or perhaps, you know, I'm getting older. You're sitting on the, the back porch and it's a summer day, but it's the evening and a cool breeze just comes by that just feels so good. And you think, oh, doesn't that feel good just to sit here and, and feel that cool breeze? Well, the Sabbath evidently is about God breathing on you and refreshing you to a point where you go, oh man, that felt good. A simple principle on the journey for you in life is this. If you don't pull over and take the time to fill the tank, you will eventually run out of gas. I was at a youth convention about 10 days ago, and there was a fellow speaking there named Reggie Dabbs, and he, he is just an awesome man of God, hilariously funny like a comedian. He speaks at youth conventions all over the nation and, and, and really around the world. And I saw him there, I hadn't seen him in 20 years. I used to bring him to speak. He looks the same age, looks the same, still doing great. I couldn't believe it. So we greeted each other and hugged. And within a moment, we were talking about a story that happened to he and I. That's quite unique. <clears throat> I brought him about 24 years ago to speak at this Oregon Youth Convention with about 2,000 kids. And um, on the way to the airport, I, I was just in such a hurry moving around trying to cover all the bases that I forgot to fill the gas tank. Uh, and, and so on the way back from the airport, I didn't even look at the, the meter there, uh, the, the, the gas gauge. And halfway back, just before Woodburn, the car sputters and we run out of gas. And I looked down and Reggie goes, what's going on? I said, you are not going to believe it, we're out of gas. And so we're about three miles from Woodburn. Get out on I-5 and start walking together. He's six foot two, 300 pound African-American guy walking down the highway, seeing Russell, because we're pretty good friends. This has never happened to me before. It had to be you. And so we walk some miles and get picked up and come and get gas. Now we're late to get up to the camp, right? So I'm hurrying. We get home. We get Karen and Aaron, who's about one year old at the time. And, and, and so then we head up the hill. Well, now we're in such a hurry. I'm driving a little fast on that same pass that, that Karen would rebuke me on regularly that I spoke of earlier. And as I'm turning a corner, there's two lanes, and I'm going probably a little too fast. I'm passing a car on the right, and it's a curb, and then there's a car coming on the left. And just as we appear around that curb, a big rock about this big is in the middle of the road in my lane. Well, I'm probably doing 55 or 60. Sorry about that, but I was. And, and, 
and, and, and I couldn't move to the right because he's in this lane. I couldn't go to the left and I couldn't stop fast enough. So I just straddled it and hoped our car was tall enough. Well, it wasn't. So the rock, boom, hits underneath the car and, and breaks the gas tank. So we get out, we look, I'm looking under there, the gas tank's dripping, and I said, uh, I don't think we should drive this. Unbelievably, second time in one day, I'm walking with the speaker, Reggie Dabbs, down the highway again. This time, this big black man has a little white baby in his arms, Aaron. We're, we're walking down the road, and he said, Russell, I've never been out of gas once with anybody. I've been walking on the road twice in one day with you. So we have that as a story that we're fond of now, but it wasn't that great then. But here's the deal. I didn't check to see how low the gas was, and I ran out. Then I got in a hurry and thought, we got to get up there. Anytime you get in a hurry and you start to feel these things, and you're pressing like this in life, you run out of gas or you hit a rock eventually because you're going too fast. Think of this principle now. An engine needs to get rest or it'll overheat. A track sprinter does the 100, 200 meter. They can't just keep running hard forever. They have to rest between races. What would it be like if you kept your phone, if you started the day with your phone at 25% power? You're not going to make it through the day. How many do that on a regular basis because you forget? Okay, just me. Um, <clears throat> You're, you're trying to find power, you're plugging in. It creates tension <clears throat> for your day. Your iPad, your computer, everything needs to be recharged or things don't go well. You're much more important than some electronic computer. You need to be recharged. And God says, I want this for you. I've willed it. I've created you this way. Isaiah 30, verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. <clears throat> now listen to this. <clears throat> Excuse me. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Well, that's about life, <clears throat> but it's, it, it's about a week, too. That when we come to the Sabbath, there, there's rest there and quietness. And when you come to honor the Lord on a day like this, there's a trust in Him and it all creates strength. You're getting refreshed. Strength is coming, coming to you. And he's saying, I want you to have rest. I want you to have quietness. I, I want to give you strength. Trust me. When you rest, <clears throat> you feel better. I, 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 I kind of feel, I think of a two-year-old when I think of this, right? What happens when they don't get rest? What happens when they don't get food and they don't have rest as well? Everything becomes... Mm. I mean, they just, they, they're, you, they're inconsolable. You can't get them to the right place. You're telling people they're tired. Listen, you're two years old too. I mean, you, 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 have, you work the same way. You're human. You have a body. If you don't get enough rest and nourishment, you don't do as well. I don't do as well. You don't do as well. God knows how he wired us. God knows how he put us together. We do need rest, and he wants to refresh us and fill us our tank with physical rest, but with spiritual strength as well. When you feel better, your spirit is lifted. But here's another reason you need it. When you feel better, everyone else around you is going to enjoy things more too. 
right? Because you can bring some energy into the relationship. There was a season in my life where I, I always made time for my, my kids and my family. I scheduled time, and b- believe it or not, I'm very, very busy. Uh, continually trying to uh, fit people in, work things out, get things done, and not able to get it all done. But I always made time in the midst of that. I had appointments with my children. I had to make appointments with them. And I had time with my wife, but there was a season where I missed it because even though I had time with it, when I got to them, I had no energy. I was so tired from everything else. Here's the deal. We have to live life in such a way that when we get the time, we can provide energy, that we can be givers and not just takers. And the Sabbath helps us to get recharged to where I can give to them. The Sabbath is about receiving from the Lord and even blessing others around because we're getting refreshed, built up. We're enjoying life so we can help them to enjoy it more. You worry less. And everyone gets to enjoy the journey. So God wants us to rest, take the Sabbath so he can fill us and refresh us. Fourth, He wants to give us, or rather, he wants us to have great relationships. And I've been alluding to that a little bit in that last portion there. Uh, First of all, the relationship is with him. Because he said, honor me. Honor me in this Sabbath. Honor me by taking the Sabbath. James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. The Sabbath includes this heart to come closer to him, to come near to him. And he's giving this promise that I'll come near to you when you take the time. Come near so that I can come near. Let me refresh you. Let me bless you. Let me remind you that I am your ultimate source in all of these things. You take rest and you trust in me. I'll build you up and I'll even take care of things in a better way because you're more connected with me. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Well, that's for coming to Christ in general, but do you think he just wants you to come? And it's once for all. He want you, when we come to him continually, he continually gives us rest. Because we, we can move away from him and we don't get that rest. Now, it's with God, but it's also with our families. And I want to show you something here. This is in Deuteronomy 4. I want to talk about relationship with family during the Sabbath. Deuteronomy 4, uh, it's talking about the commandments of the Lord. We know because the next chapter is chapter 5, and, you know, we, we've been reading the Exodus passage of the Ten Commandments. They're only listed in their entirety in two places. The second place that they're listed is here in Deuteronomy 5. So what I'm about to read is in the context of the Ten Commandments, and it speaks of family. It says, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Hey, that's grandmas and grandpas too. Isn't this cool? That, 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 uh, that, that you can invest in grandkids in this way. Can, can I just throw something out? If your kids aren't going to church and they have grandkids and they're small, would you just pick them up every week and bring them to church? Because they just see it as free babysitting. They'll love it, right? If you, uh, if, if you do it. But those kids need these things too. And maybe, maybe they, they won't be against church most likely. They'll take the time. But grandma and grandpa, I just want you to think about that. If you can get them here, get them here because you're going you're gonna to bless them uh, as a grandparent. But here in the midst of speaking about the Ten Commandments, it's saying teach your children. So part of this day in the Sabbath would include this thought that I want to get the right priorities into my family's heart and that would be this command and all the others. 
Hebrews 10.25 says something I want us to um, think about. And I'll start with this. You, you need to go to church. You know, there are people today, and it's a real popular thing to hear these days uh, uh, from friends or family members or people who don't go to church. Well, uh, I serve Jesus, but I, you know, I don't like the organized church. And my thought always runs to, then you like the disorganized church better, I guess, huh? Um, and what they mean is, I don't, uh, I don't need church. But the Bible says something way different about what we need. Now, granted, let me throw out there, it's absolutely true that the church has been so boring and has, such, has had such a little impact in America that I can understand why some people wouldn't want to go because there's no life in many of the churches in America. But when it's working right, the word of God is taught, the spirit comes in with powerful worship, lives are changed and people are touched and there's an investment where you can feel the presence of the Lord, take in the truth and walk out of here feeling good about your day because you know you've been with the Lord. Now that's what the Lord wants and some churches don't give that. But uh, there are those who say, well, I, I meet with the group of believers on my own. Okay, what about your kids? How's that go in your small group? Do they get unbelievable teaching? Your kids need to go to church. Here's why. And this, this is kind of a pet peeve of mine. I don't like to hear people say, well, I don't want to force my kids to go to church because they may not go someday. Well, first of all, the thing I would say about that is always speak well of the church, wherever you're going. Find one that you can go to that you really like. Speak well of it. Don't speak negatively about the leaders or other people in the church because what happens is people start, when the kids are in the home, and they hear this, and they hear these discussions, they start to dislike the church, the pastors, the leaders, the people in the church, and we don't know it, we didn't mean to do it, but we've taught them to stay away from those rotten people at the church. That is not what you want to do. You want to speak positively when you can. If there's something to confront, do it in the right way, go to the pastor, whatever it may be. Keep it positive with your kids so they will like the house of God. That is so important. Secondly, understand this. That at, at this youth group, for instance, uh, if you make a decision that uh, my kids don't have to go, well, it's true they don't have to go, but tell me where they're going to find this, that someone's speaking to their age group about sexuality, about what God says about sex. I promise you, because I used, I used to go to the high schools and do assemblies year ago, years ago, I promise you they're not getting God's truth about sexuality in the high schools. And I don't want to knock the high schools because there's a lot of good people that work there and there's a lot of believers. They care about kids. But they're not getting God's truth about sexuality. Here's a question for you. Are you giving it to them? Do you sit down with them and talk about their pressures and these things? I hope to some degree you are. Stop the TV show at some, when something's wrong or right and talk about it. You can pause it these days, right? But here's the deal. When they get to the youth group, Pastor Dave has got this this message from God about purity and, and, and there's something if they, if they start when they're young and they stay in it and they walk in it and they're here and you say, well, I don't want to make them go to church. Well, my dad made me go to church. They should have to go if I had to go. <laughs> I turned out all right. It wasn't that I didn't want to go all the time. It's just that I didn't want to go sometimes. So I'd put pressure on my dad. My dad would say, yeah, we're going. So I didn't have, I, you know, eventually I knew it was non-negotiable, right? Your problem is you made it negotiable. So they get there, they find out about this, and who else is telling them to honor their parents? Where else do they get that message? You need somebody besides yourself giving that message. You got a youth pastor, you got a children's worker. 
pouring into them with the Spirit of God. They need church. They need it. They need this input. I'll tell you historically, when they're out of church, I'm just telling you, I've been here 20 years. They do a lot worse when they're out of church than when they're in. I'm telling you, I could give you example after example after example. But I have no conviction here. I'm starting to get really passionate about this, aren't I? I love them so much. You love them so much. They need this. They need it. And then you need to take time out to emphasize these truths to them as well. And that's part of what the Sabbath is. I love that story that I hear from time to time of a parent saying on the way home they talked with their kids about the sermon. I love that. It's okay with me even if the kids say, well, what about this? I mean, they need to have their doubts answered, right? And I'm not answering everything up there. And here's the opportunity for you as a parent to come in with love and understanding and well, that wasn't what he was saying, or maybe you're saying, yeah, that's great, and agreeing together, but I love it when you get involved in their lives spiritually, because ultimately, you are the number one resource. Did, did you know, you know, still today with teenagers, the most influential people in their lives, survey after survey, still tells us it's parents. I like, I, I'm telling you, create boundaries, safety boundaries that the Lord gives so your kids don't get hurt. Even if they don't follow them, keep strong on the boundaries because here's what happened to me as a teenager. I got beyond them, I got hurt, and I knew exactly where to go, right? My parents told me, the Bible says, and when I got out there, sin will hurt you, you'll get messed up, you'll hurt other people. I crossed those boundaries and I got hammered by the enemy. But because my parents made those boundaries clear, I knew where to go. And I I came back to the place where there was blessing. Teach, here's what it says in Deuteronomy eleven nineteen. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And they'll start to take it in. Teach them while they're young. My daughter, Candace, is 21 now. But when she was four years old, she created a document that it lives on in folklore in our family. Her own commandments She had been to church and had heard some of these things about commandments. She had watched a video about the Ten Commandments and her mother was sharp enough to write it down because it was so fun. So Karen actually wrote down these commandments with little four-year-old Candace giving them. So here's Candace's commandments. She's, She's starting to figure this out, right? She's getting input. Number seven, that's where she started. She's four. Don't unobey your parents. That's pretty close. Number eight, never eat poison. (laughs) That's smart. Number eight, never swim in water if you can't. (laughs) Isn't that good? That's that's bright. Number nine, I don't know where this came. Fairies aren't real. That's that's number nine. That's a command for Candace. Must have been a discussion with mom there somewhere along the way. Number nine, I'm just telling you how she had them. Seven, seven, nine, nine. Okay, here we go. Number nine. I like this one. Never visit sharks if you're under the water. (laughs) Isn't that a good one? Yeah. Number seven. They're all seven and nine. (laughs) Never ride a bike if it's too sharp on the top where you sit. (laughs) Must have been a seat missing on a bike she rode somewhere along the line. I don't know. Number seven. Never go on top of a TV. Experience teaches these things, right? And this is a great one for the season. Number seven, never eat leaves. 
Number nine, never shut a door if somebody's finger is in there. (laughs) And number nine, never climb up some curtains. So here's Candace (laughs) with her little brain, and you can tell she's starting to get it, right? She's kind of thinking mom is God with all of her decrees here maybe along the way, but she's getting that there are just some things you shouldn't do. And the thing about getting kids to church and walking with them is that they start to see that there are truths. And they start to refine it where they really come down to God's truth, you know, and they start to figure it out and they start to hold these values. And if they'll live within these values, listen to me. Too often today, we're, we're not reading the Bible because the Bible's clear about the way God wants us to go. The reason we believe the politicians and the movies and, and, and the entertainers is because we don't read the Bible enough, personally. So we're letting politicians, entertainers, um, and actors and actresses set our values for us. Uh, but, but we need to know, what does God's word say? What does God value? Because we don't follow man, we follow God. And if you'll see what God says, even if you're resented in public or put down or even embarrassed along the way because uh, you won't watch a movie, somebody else will. If you'll do your best to follow God's truth, you'll find your family is blessed. You'll find that God protects you and strengthens you. And isn't that what we want? Is blessing to cover our family? The truths of God cover us. And when we walk with our kids, they start to pick up our values. When we speak to them about these things, they start to pick up those values that are God's. I I saw Aaron picking something up when he was about a year old. His mother brought him out in Kaiser, Oregon. I was working on the yard and it was the, the, the dusk of the evening and Aaron was going to bed and she had little Aaron in her arms and she said, say goodnight to daddy. And I kissed him on the cheek and I said, I love you, son. And he said, I love you too, hon. One, just barely able to talk. And I thought, hey, there's something of a love that God has built between Karen and I that he's picking up. And, and, and you know, he heard that somewhere, right? He also said something else later that year that was not so good. Uh, when he was alone in the back seat and we're driving, he said, come on, lady. And Karen gave me a funny look. So, so you have to be careful what, what you say, right? But when we do it right, and our heart is to do it right, we're getting better and better, right? I am, sure. And they pick it up, and we want to walk with them so they, and do the right things. And, and, and so, so when you spend time, when you take this day and you're with your family, and you, and you, you don't let them muck up the day either, right? Because it said sons and daughters in there too in that commandment, take a Sabbath. Uh, you, 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 your relationship starts to get stronger. You're hanging with them. You're spending time with them. You're protecting time. I don't buy into... Uh, to, to the philosophy that says, I don't spend quantities of time, but I spend quality time with my children. I don't buy into that. And the reason I don't is I've tried to create too many quality moments that didn't work out with my family, right? On vacations and nights, and they just don't work out sometimes. And then I know that if you're just hanging out, some of the greatest moments in the world will happen that you always remember. So we need, we need quantities of time that provide more qualities, quality time and we need to protect this. But, but you know, being with Karen um, in life, on Sabbath, we slow down. One of the things I enjoy most in life is having coffee with Karen. And the coffee's not the important thing there. 
It's just our way of sitting down together and connecting our hearts, hearing her heart, hearing what she has to say to me and, 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 and uh, sharing some of the struggles we're going through somewhere or something or talking about what's going on with the kids, laughing together at something and just being together. The two are one. That's what the Bible says. And we drift when we don't, we don't make sure that we have times that we're connecting on a regular basis. Someone was talking about uh, going to a foreign land for God and a, a, a country came up and we said, man, that would be a hard, hard place to go. And someone said, do you think you could go there? And I said, I think I could pretty much go anywhere if Karen was there, as long as Karen's there. Well, the truth is, God would probably give me the grace to do it if Karen wasn't there. But the truth is also, I don't want to go anywhere without this lady, man. I want to stay connected to her. I love her. She loves me. She brings strength. And when we're together, the Sabbath is part of that, just being together, then something of strength is coming. First Peter 3, 7 says, remember that your wife, that you and your wife are partners in receiving God's blessing. Ecclesiastes 9 says, enjoy life with your wife. Let me just say this. Productivity at work is not as good at peace as, as good as peace at home. Say it again. Productivity at work is not as good as peace at home. So God wants to refresh you. He's also said, I want you to walk with your family on that day. Stay close to them. And I'm going to do some powerful things. So keep the Sabbath. Slow down. Hit the refresh button. Recharge. Connect with God. Show your family that these things are important and that you are investing in them. You're investing in them by getting them to slow down. And the, and the younger you start this, the easier it is as they grow older. If you do this, God will bless you and he will build your house. Psalm 127.1 says this, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. So we want him to build the house. Part of the structure for that is these commands that he gives us here. So we want him to build it because they're tender commandments. They're commandments that are all about your life going well. 